Hello, everyone, and welcome to our virtual Facebook conversation. Today's topic is Equal Pay is Our Right, Supporting Equal Pay in Mississippi. This discussion is sponsored by two great organizations, One Voice, which is led by Executive Director Nashombe Lambright Haynes, and the Mississippi State Conference NAACP, where Corey Wiggins serves as the Executive Director and Reverend Robert James as the President. My name is Honor Cunningham, and I am the second Vice President and Economic Committee Chair for the Mississippi State Conference NAACP, and I will be the, the host for today's discussion. We have three dynamic women joining us today as we talk about equal pay for women. Our first guest is Aisha Carson. Aisha Carson is the Program Director for Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. The Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable is an intergenerational statewide network that champions equitable public policy on behalf of Black women and girls nationally and across the South. She is also the host of the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable podcast, which is a digital platform connecting millennials to local and state policy change efforts. Her current career focuses on developing campaigns for local and statewide legislative policy efforts here in Mississippi. This has included using data-driven strategies to inform digital outreach and content development and facilitate activities that are geared toward advocating for disenfranchised communities in the Deep South. As a born and raised Mississippian, she has a strong commitment to push for racial equity through the public policy and advocacy in the state that she calls home. Our second guest is Ms. Willie Jones. Ms. Jones is a workforce developer in the state of Mississippi. She is the founder and president of Dependable Source Corporation Center for Community and Workforce Development or DSC for short. The center provides workforce solutions to the transportation industry by providing a set of interconnected connected solutions to meet the workforce needs of Mississippians. DSC assists in providing workers with the skills necessary for better wages and a sustained workforce. It includes education and skill development, as well as addressing the higher de hiring demands of employers. Ms. Jones has been supplying experienced, professional, and DOT certified commercial drivers to manufacturers, distributors, and motor carriers through the South. Since 1995, she is known as a respected leader in the transportation industry. And in 2018, she was selected as one of Mississippi's top CEOs by Mississippi Business Journal. Our third guest is Ms. Shirley Mock. Ms. Mock is a native of Natchez, she earned her bachelor's degree in communications and business administration from Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. Mock has been employed more than 30 years in a corporate environment, first in entry-level positions represented by an organized labor unit union before being promoted to management. She retired in 2001 in Tallahassee, Florida as vice president in government relations for both Florida and Mississippi. In 2002, Mock returned to Mississippi and started her own consulting firm, Mock's Consulting, specializing in various public policies. She accepted her first employer as her first client and led lobbyists. Mock united with One Voice at its inception in 2007, which was formerly known as Community Policy Research and Training Institute, where she served in several capacities and currently she is the Chief Operating Officer. Mock is a proud mother of three sons, Berthrone, Reginald, and Morris Jr., and she has 11 grandchildren and one great-grandson. Again, as I stated earlier, we have three dynamic women with us today. As we recognize and celebrate Women History Month, this topic could not be more relevant. Not only will we talk about advocating for equal pay in Mississippi, we will talk through the historical lack of equal pay for women, where we are today, and what it looks like moving the needle forward in bringing change to make equal pay in Mississippi a reality. Welcome, ladies. Let's talk. Ms. Shirley, if I can begin with you, Mississippi is the only state in the nation that does not have an equal pay law. Can you define and explain exactly what equal pay is? Thank you, Anna. So glad to be a part of the conversation. At first look, Equal pay means men and women have the right to receive 
equal compensation for work of equal value. They are entitled to the same pay as anyone else, doing the same or broadly similar jobs or doing a job of equal value, regardless of their gender. And may I add, race is totally necessary to include in this historical state of Mississippi. It is really necessary. Now I'd like to share with you how it, how it, how I'm so closely related to what, why it would be lacking here in the state. My first encounter with that question of equal pay was in 1969, 1970, when I was on the verge of completing my associate degree and, at Natchez Junior College, and I landed my first job. Now that was an entry-level position that had just opened to hiring minorities at this well-known corporation, who at the time only had custodial labor that looked like me. This was a pink collar job, if I may add, where women were the majority at all levels in this department. So I was ecstatic when I landed a job for $125 a week before taxes, compared to having a mother who worked as a maid and a cook for $12 a week, a stepfather who worked in the fields sun up, sun down for $15 a week. So $125 was really attractive. About a year and a half later, the company hired their first man. He was young, he was single, and he was white. Our union representative at the time was first to inform us that the company would be giving all of us pink collar workers a $100 raise a week. And the reason was, it was a bit unsettling, but this young man was coming into the fold. He would one day have a family and he would need the extra pay. So having a new gender on board signified an increase for us. I might add that the pink collars now, they were single mothers already, but you know, this is how it works. So this equal pay for equal work is a dynamic subject and I'll pass it on to the next. Thank you. Thank you for that. Ms. Jones, I wanna to turn to you. Um, your organization is centered, to, centered around workforce training and skill development. And depending on how you look at some of the uh, skill careers, majority of those services can be male dominating. There are you know, welders, plumbers, technicians, uh, and you are known as a leader in your area of transportation. Again, a male dominating field. What does equal pay mean for those who lead organizations, lead people, and for women uh, who compete for jobs in male dominating roles, similar to what Ms. Mock was speaking about? Thank you so much um, for inviting me to this conversation. Uh, and and Ms. Mock's testimony was so powerful. Um, and it really speaks to where we are. And, and I'm gonna kind of address my response around employers and, and, the, and, and the environment in, in which a lot of employees are working in. Fortunately for my arena, is a non-traditional uh, career as far as transportation. And you look at the other opportunities, construction, electrical contracting, all of those things, those provide opportunities, of course, for women to receive equal pay because in truck driving, um, rather it doesn't matter uh, when you're behind the wheel of that truck and if it's 50 cents a mile that you're getting paid, whether you're male or female, you are going to get paid the same pay. So I want to say that because I want women to be aware of those particular opportunities. But when we talk about, uh, as Ms. Mock stated, she shared her story around um, uh, this, this whole dilemma that increased pay only happened when a male is factored into the role is very critical to us. And when we talk about why we should have equal pay policies and rules and regulations in the state of Mississippi, this is exactly why. There has been long-standing behaviors and practices that have been part of our society and part of uh, 
of our businesses so very long. So this new idea that we need to have equal pay policy in the state of Mississippi is to change that, to help employers have an opportunity, not to say, hey, I got you, but to first do no harm to employers, to say to employers, we this policy will give you an opportunity to evaluate all of the practices that you currently have on board and give you an opportunity to improve your hiring and salary policies, avoiding any lawsuits and, and bad press. And it's just good for business. And when we talk about women and what their needs are, just as Ms. Mock stated, when we look at the income that women are needing right now, the Department of Labor is saying that the average income that a woman who is a single parent and has children, she needs to be making at least $35,000 a year or more in order to keep herself out of poverty. So it's so crucial for us. Not only this is going to be good for employers, but it's good for employees. It's good for our economy. It's good for our state. It just makes good sense. So uh, when we talk to employers, when we educate employers about this, they should be able to look at this as an improvement to their bottom line, to where they create environments in their workspace that's going to be not only be good for them, but in good for their employees. I definitely agree. And you're, you're absolutely right. It's good all the way around. So it's a win-win situation when employers um, have equal pay for both men and women. And now for a commercial break. Impacted by the water crisis? Get your clothes washed and dried for free. The Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable and the Jackson City Branch of the NAACP are sponsoring quarters because we care free laundry support services. Join us on Saturday, March 20th at Keyway Super Suds located at 212 West Northside Drive, Jackson, Mississippi from 9 o'clock a.m. to 5 o'clock p.m. Limited slots are available, so schedule today for an appointment. Contact Melissa Overton at 769-467-5854. Again, that number is 769-467-5854. The Our Voice, Our Votes report centers the lives of those who have been directly impacted by Mississippi's criminal legal system. The report itself is an interrogation of our processes and a challenge to not only reevaluate those processes, but to change them and to make those changes clear and accessible. This report is the blueprint for expanding voting access in Mississippi, a roadmap to restoration and justice. Join us because at the launching of this report, the real work begins. Now, of course, we, we commonly hear, speaking on income, we commonly hear about the large wage gap between white and black. Uh, women of every race are paid less than men at all education levels, and it gets worse as women's careers progress. Aisha, can, can you talk about the wage gap and how it disproportionately affects Black women and why this disparity has persisted for so long? Absolutely, absolutely. And let me just say, I'm, I'm extremely honored to be a part of this conversation today with, with some amazing Black women on this particular issue. Um, but I'll start by saying that Black women as a whole over a 40 year career can be shortchanged or, or the wage gap can cost them up to almost $800,000 based on statistics over a 40 year career. Um, so that is a large amount of money, almost a million dollars based on what we see right now in the wage gap, which black women make 56 cents on the dollar. Um, compared to a white non-Hispanic male here in this country. And in Mississippi, that is even lower. Um, and so when we see those huge wage, you know, wage differences, that also has a particular impact on Black women because of where they sit, not only in society, but where they sit within their families. Um, and there's two ways that you sort of see this impact. Um, and I think it's important to talk about those two different dynamics because as Black women, there are... Um, some very positive things that we've been able to do, even with the barriers in our way. Um, we represent 
of the most educated demographic of women in the United States based on the amount of degrees that we have obtained today. And also we're opening business and opening businesses at almost eight times the national rate. Um, so when you think about those things, even we know that the wage gap impacts women no matter what their education level is. So when you look at those two things that black women are definitely impacted in those ways, whether it be student loans, access to capital to start businesses, um, being able to save, have wages where you can save for retirement. Um, and then we also have this other component, uh, especially in a place like Mississippi, where there is one of the highest poverty rates for women in the country or the highest poverty rates rate for women in the country is how does this particularly impact black women who are living in poverty, who we know eight out of 10 black women are the breadwinners in their family. So that's going to impact childcare, their ability to be able to care for their children and pay for quality childcare. That's also going to impact their access to healthcare. Um, so impacting their um, health determinants, their outcomes for healthcare, um, especially in rural areas or in urban areas. So all of these different components that are impacted by our ability, Black women's ability to be able to care for themselves and care for their families has to do with the amount of money that they are making and bringing in. Um, and like I said, because Black women, eight out of 10 Black women are the breadwinners in their family, they are going to have the lion's share of responsibility of making sure um, that their children are taken care of and also um, their caregivers. So also making sure that elderly relatives are taken care of as well. Um, and so black women being the playing the role that they play in their families and in their communities, um, having equal wages is not only imperative for them as, a, as an individual, but it's also imperative for the community as a whole. I'd like to add something to that also. Aisha said it so very, very well in all of the different areas that, that where we are as women. But I also want to highlight where we are in the midst of COVID and also in the midst of this pandemic and it's where we go forward. All of the things that Aisha talked about is now um, just double those, those challenges for women and, and, and specifically for uh, single parents and that, that are, are trying to empower their families. We know now that many of the jobs that those women had before COVID has gone away and will not be coming back. We now don't know what the future of women's work is gonna look like as we move forward. So when we talk about equal pay, it is so important for us now to get this thing right because uh, we are now even more challenged as women to make sure that we have provide a quality of life for ourselves and our families. And one more thing that she mentioned about um, preparing for retirement. I know so many women that are still that are at 60, 65 years of age that are still in the workforce. And, and the reason they're in the workforce, because their retirement savings uh, is not where it needs to be. And for many women, women of color, that exists for us. So it is so important for us to have equal pay, the same pay, the market pay, higher wages, uh, making sure we maximize all the opportunities and we are respected in the workforce because we know that the dollars that women spend empowers our economy. So if the women are not getting that money and they're not able to spend that in the workforce, they're not able to save those dollars. We're talking about a problem for all of us, not just women, all of us, because when women succeed, we all succeed. And that is a wonderful statement. <laughs> when women succeed, we, we all succeed. Um, in, in 2020, if you add the economic layer of COVID-19 and look at women in the workplace, women were drastically affected in various ways as it relates to income. And I know COVID is, is indirectly related to income. However, it did highlight um, disparities with women uh, in the workplace. Aisha, can you give uh, your thoughts to this question as well? And I know you stated about 800 women are losing on average $800,000 um, in their career with the, the wage disparities. What are some of the other, and, and Ms. Um, Ms. Jones, you mentioned um, retirement. 
what are some of the social and economic consequences? What are some other social and economic consequences of not having equal pay law? I think some of the social and economic consequences of not having an equal pay law um, really because of the role that black women play in their families as the breadwinner, um, a lot of things are dependent on them. And that is, you know, whether or not the children are taken to the doctor, whether or not they have food, nutritious food, um, whether, whether or not they have shelter, all of those different components rely on black women, eight out of 10 of those times in, in families and communities. And so this COVID environment where there's so much uncertainty and their um, definitely wage impacts. You see the what the, the the impact that lost wages can have on families, particularly lost wages of Black women. Um, and so that childcare in this pandemic, when you know kids were virtually learning from home, and you also had mothers who were essential workers who had to go to work, and children who were trying to their best to learn at home. That dynamic exists in before and after the before and after the pandemic in terms of um, how are working mothers able to support their children's education and how are systems responsive to them being able to do that as working mothers. So I think when you think about all of the different things that you know in a family that are dependent on for from black women like health care, like food, um, like shelter, all of those different things are, are impacted when Black women don't have wages. Um, and of course, that means that children experience the impacts of that. Um, mothers in poverty, 70% um, of women, I'm sorry, 70% of people in low-wage jobs in Mississippi are women, right? And so that fact alone means that those women are also probably caring for children, might be caring for relatives, might be, you know, the only person working in their household. And so all of those different elements are impacted when a black woman has lost out on wages or when she doesn't have job security. And that's another thing that equal pay um, is really about as well, making sure that women have that job security. Also, I want to I want to piggyback off of and talk about the role of stress. And that's something that a lot of times we talk about this, this thing about the money piece, but even that lack of money, the stress that women are having to deal with because of that lack of money, lack of her ability. And when we talk about lack of money, we talk about that that's just another obstacle in her way to get accomplished, to be a proper caregiver, to be a mother, uh, to, to empower herself, all of those things. And then we're talking about mental health um, you know, the stress of all of that that leads to all of these other issues around heart condition and and um, and all those particular things. And also, Aisha spoke about job security. Uh, it is so important for women to have sustainable jobs. If you look at a lot of the jobs that are in the state of Mississippi, a lot of women are, uh, some of them are, are working two and three jobs just to make one job. A lot of times women have to change jobs every six months or so because those jobs may go away or they, she may have to move into another job because it isn't paying her sufficient wages. When women have sustainable jobs that provide higher wages and good benefits, that's when she thrives. And I think this is a good time for us to talk about opportunity. Because as we as women move forward past post-pandemic, we need to look at what opportunities are available to us to provide sustainability, provide jobs that have higher wages, provide jobs that have good benefits that we can care for ourselves and be able to take our work when we need to. Because you know, if you are a mother Many times you have to leave your job because a little Johnny maybe fell on the playground or maybe get sick from a cold or whatever that situation is. So women need quality jobs that provide that particular opportunity and benefits for them to be successful. And I want women to begin to think about what the future of her work is going to look like. And, and there's many opportunities out there when we talk about uh, the, the jobs, non-traditional roles that we talked about earlier. 
uh, uh, trans tr trucking and transportation. And when we talk about that wage piece, these are jobs have similar things in common. They pay higher wages, they pay great benefits, and these jobs are sustainable jobs. Transportation and trucking starts out the first year, 50 to $70,000 a year. Construction industry jobs start at around 40 to 50 and $60,000 a year. IT jobs, a lot of us don't think, well, you think, well, uh, the, there's a clear pathway to IT and technology, but we're still single digits in all of these industries. And that's why they're still classified as non-traditional because women are not moving into those jobs. There are training programs out there where women can go six, nine months, 11 months and get the skills that she needs in IT to be web designers and, 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 and coders and other opportunities around computers and IT. So these are opportunities that have all of these great characteristics that provides that great work environment and income. And what I love about it is all of these jobs and industries have a clear pathway to jobs, not just training, but clear pathway to real jobs. And you don't have to guess, well, what am I gonna make in trucking? What am I gonna make in construction? What am I gonna make in IT? All the statistics and all of the, sto the, the, the stories out there reveal and the research reveals that these jobs provide clear pathways for women to be able to get successful in. So when we also think about equal pay policy in the state of Mississippi, we also have to look at our workforce training dollars. Are we providing those workforce training dollars for women to get access to the skills training that they need to be successful? Are we having giving women the type of workforce dollars and opportunity credits and, and, and opportunities that direct her into these jobs that's going to pay the type of salary that she needs to have? And that's and that's a real question that should be top priority on. Everything that we do post COVID nineteen, we have. I mean, our what's what our future is going to look like as women around work is going to be extremely important for us to think strategically on how to get that done. How we're talking to our young girls and our young women on what careers that they're looking like. We can no longer just say to women, go to college, get a four year degree, you're going to be able to work, you're going to have a great career. It has to, our conversation has to change about what we are exploring and where the opportunities are for women. Beautifully said. We know the issues, which is equal pay. Uh, each of you have addressed the impacts of women not having equal pay. Now let's turn the conversation to what do we do about it? Ms. Shirley Mock, are there any or has there been any bills in the state legislature that address equal pay? If so, or if not, what should those bill, what bill language should it include? Thank you, thank you. I would say there have been more than enough and for several years, but this would also address why this disparity has persisted for so long. If we look at our leaders, uh, let me start at this year's legislative session. This year, at the legislature, there were on the House side, seven bills, all were double referred to at least two committees in their own house. And strangely on February the 2nd, all died in committee. It was almost as if they were dead on arrival. Uh, we had uh, several bills. We had representative Sonia Williams Barnes uh, who introduced two of them. Uh, Representative William Tracy Arnold, uh, Representative Robert Johnson III, Representative Kabir Kareem, Representative Brian Clark, Representative Alice Clark, and on her bill, uh, House Bill 1278, uh, she had 12 additional authors. Now, this is a very powerful group of people. And many times when we look at the bills, many times they would ask the question, it may be a great idea, maybe a great issue, but also they may ask who introduced it? 
as if it will not get a hearing at all unless it's the right person to introduce it. But all of these bills on the House side were dead on arrival, well, died in committee. On the Senate side, there were four, and I'm all talking about this session. All were double referred, all died in their own uh, House, in, the, in their own committee on February the 2nd. Uh, Senate bill, uh, there was Tam, uh, Senator Tammy Witherspoon for two of them, Senator Nicole Boyd and uh, Representative, da I mean, Senator David Blunt. And of course, uh, for the Evelyn Gandy Fair Pay Act, uh, Senator Turner Ford. Uh, also, she introduced another bill, and I know we've, we've mentioned this before, the Mississippi Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, but it also died on February the 2nd. Why, why? after all these bills in one session, uh, last, we, we're Mississippi is still last on the list. Uh, I would say then that when it comes to previous years in 2019, there were several bills introduced and many, many times the, uh, in the debates and all they would mention all of the stats that we have here about how women Mississippi women made 75 cents for every $1 men made, but for women of color, only 56 cents per $1 made to men. Uh, the Evelyn Gandy Fair Pay Act also was another bill that was introduced in 2019. 2018, there were several others. And strangely in 2018 though, the chairman, um, of the Judiciary A Committee, Chairman Mark Baker. So he is the one who probably has the strings, the purse strings to be able to say, this bill will be passed or we will hold steady to it and it will not go out. He, for him to put his name on the bill and others followed, you would think that it had a likely chance of passing. It did pass the House by a margin of 106 to 10. But by the time it got on the other body, the Senate side, it failed. The proper language would be all of the language that we have in these bills. Most of them were very similar, but we know that women of color especially would need to be protected. And uh, I would just say, this is something that we have to stay um, true to our own selves. If we don't pass, get this bill and support this legislation ourselves as women, if we cannot support ourselves, why should we expect anyone else to? When we look at the various tactics that it takes on the introduction of bills, many bills, in both houses, the language is most times slightly different or the same, identical or companion bills is what we call it. There are different authors, male or fee, introduced by male or female, by a Democrat or a Republican. So the tactics are very similar, but the barriers are real. And when we put all the barriers in place, then we have point of orders. We amend the bill until to death, until it fails, strip it of its significance. And then we have unpopular authors. If you have someone in the legislature who may not be very popular with their peers, then that's another way of killing a bill. So we have to do our part. And our part is not just depending on the charismatic legislators in the big house. We need to look toward our communities, get them involved, have them educated, and make sure they understand why this is to their interest. So then at the end of the day, they will select the best people to represent them in passing such legislation. So this, these are the bills. It's not like 
someone's been sitting on the wayside waiting, Mississippi is still the only one sitting and the last. And Ms. Mock, you said it so eloquently, and you it, you said it's our responsibility. I want to quote a campaign that Mississippi Black Women Roundtable is, is doing right now called The Power of the Pocketbook. That's what it's, I love that word pocketbook. It reminds me of my mother and my grandmother before her, because we know what it means when we say pocketbook. Everything is in our pocketbooks and our pocketbooks are powerful. First, I want to say one thing is we got to get more women in public office and we got to strengthen them and elevate them to be in decisions making roles in our Mississippi legislature to do what is right by women and put the issues of women as priority in this state of Mississippi. And it's not even just enough. I think most of us, when we talk about these topics like equal pay and all of the other issues around women and family, hey, it's a no brainer for us. We say yes, yes to it. But we got to put action to, the, to, to, to that yes, yes. We got to write our, our legislators. And a lot of times, if you're a Democrat or if you're Republican, you say, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write my representative or call my representative. They're all our representative, whether they Democratic, Republican, or independents, they have a responsibility in this state to represent all of us: male, female, black, white, uh, brown, yellow, it does not matter. So we have a responsibility to engage all of our legislators and remind them of what's important to us in Mississippi. That means writing the, our legislators, that means calling them, that means showing up at their doors and even their offices if you have to. And then Ms. Mock talked about our community organizations, our churches. Uh, churches has a historically been in the, in the communities of color, that place where we can become to be politically engaged and pull our power together. Um, so churches still have that power. I know when I, when before COVID, when I showed up at my church on Sunday, the parking lot is packed and full. There's power in that engagement. So we got to get back to those things that we know have worked historically for us in the past. And then we got to look at other ways. We got to hold them accountable. We have to put their put put up uh, put their information on how they voted through social media. We have to share stories with each other. All of our women's organizations, we have to work together more strategically to make sure that we're working together, not just one of us sending a letter, but all, I mean, impacts that we, we need to blow up those emails and blow up those calls so we can make sure that the power of our pocketbook is 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 put forth and engaged in a in a much larger way. Thank you uh, for that. Aisha, would you like to, to add on? I know at the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable, you work closely with policy. Would you like to add some words? Yes, I think all of what of, of what Willie said is just absolutely spot on. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to follow up on um, from what Ms. Mock said is that um, there have been several attempts, especially now because Mississippi is the only state in the country without state level equal pay protections for women. Um, so there has been an effort both on, on both sides of the aisle to pass some sort of equal pay legislation. However, on the Black Women's Roundtable work with the National Women's Law Center to really nail down some exact, um, exact language in order for it to be the type of equal pay bill that will benefit all women. And that language is language around race explicitly um, because there are times where Black women are specifically discriminated against and that has to be accounted for in law. And then there's language around retaliation, not retaliating against women who file those claims. There has to be strong language around retaliation that's critical to that job security piece that Willie talked about earlier. And then the last part is salary history, just as simple as not requiring salary history on job applications, which statistically we know contributes to wage discrimination. Um, and so there has been some effort on both sides of the aisle to introduce legislation, however, those um, all of the legislation does not have those elements that are particularly important to black women. 
and that is race and retaliation. Um, and so on the policy side of that, and I think that's that's that people have to be just as diligent about that language too, because we don't want just any old equal pay legislation. We really want something that's strong enough to support all women, particularly on the race issue, because we know black women experience that sort of discrimination um, more disproportionately. So um, being explicit with legislators about what kind of language we want in that bill in order to make sure black women are particularly protected. And now for a commercial break. we wrap up our discussion what closing remarks would you like to add miss jones i'll start with you then miss mock and then asia you can wrap wrap up as well i want to thank um uh, one voice for inviting me to this conversation with this powerful group of women thanks so much to the executive director miss nashambi lambright haynes who is doing an incredible job as in continuing to engage us and I wanna, I wanna wrap up by, I like leaving conversations with information and news that you can use. I want women to reach out to DSC and, and whether you wanna have information about these opportunities out there where these higher pays wages and benefits that are available and training that are available. We got a lot of scholarship opportunities specifically for women to engage in these particular industries. And we want you to reach out to us at 601-351-5858 or go to our website at drivingyourfuturems.com. But I wanna say to women is, do not let any boundaries keep you to success, whether it's equal dealing with equal pay on your jobs, be proactive, understand the power and the skill and the talent and the intelligence that you bring to employers be strong in what you know that you know. But also, I, as you parallel to do that, I want to make sure that you also are not missing out on opportunities that are available to you right now. To look at these industries that provide opportunities to you. And I think right now also, we have to move with a sense of urgency. I'm telling you for the next two to three years and even five years from now, women are going to have some real challenges even beyond what we've already had in trying to develop what our work needs to look like. Many of us are not going to want to go back into the workforce, not interested in going back in the workforce. We might want to create our own opportunities, our own business opportunities, and be able to, some of us just want to be mothers. We want to now, we know what that feels like because we've been home with little Johnny and little Jane. And we say, hey, I love being at home and being able to care for my child and be able to teach my child on our own. So how do I set myself up to be able to do that financially, to be able to still provide for my family, but be able to have that relationship with my children and my family and do the things just what I want to do. 
So I want you to reach out to as many agencies as you can. You can start, of course, at DSC. We'll be glad to help you connect with organizations like Mississippi Black Women Roundtable and so many others that are out there that are providing that pathway for you to do exactly what you wanna do and to empower yourself. I am so excited about the opportunities that are out there for women right now. When we look at, the, when we think about that quote, it's our time, that's just not something that sounds good. This is our time to be all that we can be, do what we wanna do and create the life that we wanna have for ourselves. And I just want to ask women to make sure that you stay vigilant, that you move with a sense of urgency, and you ask questions, you ask for help, and you do all those things that you need to do to be successful. Thanks so much again for this opportunity and this conversation with this incredible group of women. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ms. Mock. Thank you. And it is an honor to be here with Ms. Asia, uh, Ms. Willie. Um, and and uh, Ms. Anna, I appreciate being on this uh, in this conversation to be included. One thing I, I will say, we must remember where we are. We are in the 50th state of mistakes. We must remember that although Mississippi has that Southern charm, Mississippi is so well known for the first place of the blues and the bluegrass and the catfish capital of the world and the magnolia trees, the namesake of the Mississippi River. Don't forget this Southern charm and how the bitter fruit can be totally terrible for people of color. You know, I, I think about, and, and as I was thinking about this subject of equal pay, and I thought about an onion and the many peelings. You know, it, it just has a lot of layers. You wonder, and I remember when I was a girl and we talked about um, women's suffrage, thinking, all right, women will finally, and they finally got a chance to vote. But that opportunity wasn't for women of color at first. It's amazing how you can think we're all in this together for the good of all, but really it's for the good of some. And we have to fight every time to get what we know we deserve. Why in the world equal pay is not fair? Why isn't it not fair for all? We have infighting not only with female to female, but color to color, men against women to try to forward and advance women and most especially now women of color. Don't fall for the okie doke when they say, oh, the Federal Equal Pay Act will be just fine. But it wasn't fine for the other 49. Why should it be fine for Mississippi? Don't fall for the okie doke. We have to be ready. We have to stand firm and no is not an acceptable answer. And I stand with my sisters today in saying, put one foot ahead of the other and keep working until we can say, thank you very much. One voice, thank you for the opportunity and all to be able to make this happen. And Miss Asia. Yes, it has been an absolute honor to be a part of this conversation today with two just amazing women in leadership in Mississippi. Um, and to really talk with you about, about what equal pay is, what it means to women in Mississippi, particularly black women in Mississippi, and how we can all contribute and, and play a role in changing that. And not only that, I think about, you know, um, Willie talked about the power of the pocketbook campaign that we have going on at Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. And really the center of that campaign is understanding and realizing what the power of women's, Black women's pocketbooks have done in each and every one of our lives personally. You know, I know there were times in college where when my grandmother, you know, sent a personal check through the mail and it wasn't so much about 
the amount that it was, but it was about the investment and investing in me and really wanting to invest in me. And that was really the power of her pocketbook. Um, and it really doesn't have to do with the dollar amount so much as what what do black women do in their communities? What power do they hold in their communities? And what does it mean when they invest in their children and when they invest in other people? Um, so I am so, so thrilled to be a part of this conversation today. And my only call to action to folks would be to think about the power of the pocketbook, the power of the black woman's pocketbook in your life. What has a black woman done to invest in you? And use that same energy to invest in other black women and to uplift them, uplift them, whether that is advocating for equal wages for them or supporting them just in your family or in your community. Um, and, and thank you again to One Voice for allowing me to be a part of this conversation. Thank you. This was great insight from each of you. In this conversation, we've learned that without equal pay, women are losing an average of $800,000 of income over a course of their career. There should be a focus on skill development and career options for women in non-traditional jobs to include equal pay. Providing equal pay would help lessen stress for women. Women would have more money now and for retirement, job security, access to more opportunity or resources, and overall women would have a sustainable life. We should support the power of the pocketbook. And we must continue to persist in equal pay legislation. Asia Carson, Willie Jones, and Shirley Mock, ladies, I thank you for your time and providing us with your insight on why it's important to make equal pay for women one of the priorities for Mississippi. For those watching, my hope is that you have a better understanding of why it's important for women to have uh, pay equity. In addition, help us join our advocacy efforts for equal pay. Again, on behalf of Executive Director Nashombi Lambright-Haynes of One Voice and Executive Director Corey Wiggins and President Reverend Robert James of Mississippi State Conference NAACP, we thank you for join, joining us on our fight in advocacy for justice. I leave you with a few words from Viola Davis, and I quote, If a woman does the same job as a man, she should be paid the same amount of money. She just should. That's the way the world should work. Thank you for joining us and be well.